Hi, I'm April Klumkevich. And I'm Amanda McClooney, and this is Her Step Forward, where we share stories from women who step up, step out, and step forward into careers and lives they love. Our guest today is Kit Pierre, a military wife, a stay-at-home mother of three, and a biostatistician. We met on vacation with our families when we were in high school and have kept in touch ever since. Kit has an undergraduate degree from Vanderbilt University and a master's degree in biostatistics from George Washington University. She worked full-time as a statistician until welcoming twin sons. She does freelance statistics from home, but dedicates her time and her talents to her family, which now also includes an adopted daughter. The military keeps them on their toes. So far in 12 years of marriage, she and her husband have moved to a new location five times. Kit has learned volumes about life and love through motherhood and adoption, and we're so excited for her to share her story with us today. Welcome, Kit. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We're so glad that you're here. (laughs) So speaking of aloha, you live on the other side of the world from where you grew up. You're in Hawaii and it's six hours earlier for you than us. So hello from the future. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about transitioning to live in a tropical paradise like Hawaii. Is it as glamorous as we think it is? The short answer is yes. (laughs) It is beautiful here. There are so many shades of blue and green. If those are your colors, this is the place for you. You can just see God's beauty abound everywhere around us. There are so many things to do. The thing about living here is that you actually need to make the effort to get out of your house and actually go do these things. So we try to take advantage of the weekends, for example, and we go snorkeling or we'll take the kids for a hike or we'll go to the beach and boogie board. But we are blessed with so many sunny days. It's pretty quite extraordinary. It sounds beautiful. Sounds like paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Uh, So Kit, to talk a little more about your work, I know that you have a degree in math and you've worked as a statistician, among other things. What was it like to transition away from that work-focused life and then focus more on family? You know, in some ways, it was the most natural thing ever. It just was so ideal for me personally to be home with my children, to be able to witness all their first things, their first steps, their first words. To feed them their first avocado. That was <laughs> anyway, it just, it's truly been um, a blessing to be able to do that, uh, you know, obviously financially to be able to stay home with them, but I wouldn't trade it for anything, honestly. You do miss, I will say, being a stay at home mom. I really, some days I miss the adult interaction that you would have in a workplace. I miss the sense of sort of completing a, a project. I don't know, there's something about the satisfaction of completing a project, whether it be a report or an analysis that makes you feel like you've accomplished something. And then, of course, your financial payment for said reward versus in staying at home. You know, I do, (laughs) I take care of the children, I do the laundry and other housework, and I don't have somebody saying, good job, Kit, or... You know, or or giving me a bonus for that for that work quarter or something. You know, it's a, it's just a different kind of fulfillment, and um, it does take some adjusting too. I think when you come from a place where your work sort of defines your your work and your earnings, maybe sort of define your identity. I would say so. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it was a transition, but I again, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Hmm. 
And I think you're absolutely right, especially here in America, when we meet people for the first time, we say, what do you do? And then the answer is, I am a blank. Like we don't say, oh, I do this type of work. We identify as that. And so, yeah, it must be very different to change from, oh, I'm a statistician to, oh, I'm a mom. I can see how that would be like a really big shift. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I also hear comments of people who sort of take it as, though I just sit at home and, you know, watch my daytime soaps and eat my bonbons. <laughs> and eat bonbons. <laughs> the laundry <laughs> folds itself. Exactly. Exactly. So I think there, yeah, like you said, in society, there are a lot of sort of stigmas about staying at home with your children and, and your own identity and so forth. So I think a lot of moms I've spoken to have struggled with the same sort of situation. So it's been interesting, definitely. But again, I, I get to be there. I get to pick up my children from school. I get to be there when, you know, anything happens. And and for that, I'm just like, you know, immensely thankful. Mm-hmm. And your bonus is in hugs. No, <laughs> yes, it is. Speaking of those hugs, you get to have a lot of them. You have three kids. You have both biological kids and adopted. So can you talk to us about adoption and why it was the right choice for your family? Yes, I would be happy to talk about adoption. It has taken me a long time to sort of get to this spot where I feel comfortable sharing my story. But when my twins were born, my sweet boys, they're nine now. So when they were born, it was via C-section. But there was a medical misstep, I'll call it, that resulted in my emergent hysterectomy. Oh my! And so the mistake was not discovered until after the boys were born. I was in the recovery room with my husband and my mom. And we were just cooing over these sweet baby boys. They were perfect and healthy. And suddenly I started seeing stars. And then I coded. I just lost consciousness. And I woke up in the ICU um, just to the sound of my husband's voice, my mother's voice, and who I can only guess would be a chaplain or a priest from the hospital. And I barely opened my eyes and I could see them holding hands around me. And they were performing... The sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And then I, I fell asleep again. And then I woke up again a little while later and I had a trach tube in my throat. Mm. And um, my, my husband and my mother were beside me and they told me the news that I had had a hysterectomy. And so apparently during the surgery, which took a long time, they discovered I was hemorrhaging. I received a, a lot of blood in the transfusion. So I was in the ICU for a little while to recover. And then just in the general hospital for a while longer after that. So like I said, the babies were so healthy. The people in the hospital were so generous to put the boys in the NICU to take care of them while I was recovering, um, at least for a little bit. And they would bring, up, bring the boys to us for feedings. And they were giant babies. They were six and seven pound babies among all these tiny little preemies in the NICU. So anyway, but they were so healthy. And it just was that this day that should have been so joyous ended up tainted by this dark gray cloud that will never have more children. And it wasn't my choice, obviously. And then the entire experience was made into a bit more of a nightmare because my husband... Uh, I should say, is an OBGYN. And he had handpicked my physicians 
these were his friends and his trusted colleagues. And even worse is that people in the hospital decided to look in the medical record without our permission to find out what happened. It became an item of gossip. And we had no privacy. So HIPAA was breached in the worst way. Mm-hmm. And we didn't know who knew our story, who didn't know. And we would be approached by people who would say the, the most, the worst things to us and it would catch us off guard. We didn't know who knew and who didn't. Um, and so I decided to sort of shut down. I shut out the world. And anybody who didn't know at that point was not going to find out so that our other friends and family who didn't know could just continue to celebrate these sweet boys while I was trying to find my sea legs, as it were, in this new storm of my reality. So that was my way of taking control. And so we left Washington State. I should Maybe I didn't mention that. We were in the state of Washington, and my husband is military, as we've said, and so we moved next to Oklahoma. And it was really hard for me. I just sort of had an identity crisis. I didn't know how to share and be with other women without divulging these these details of my past. And it was hard for me to to make bonds, to make friends. And we were only here one year, and I knew that. So I sort of shut myself off, but I do regret that. I regret that I didn't invest more time with some of the wonderful women I did meet there. So we're moving on then. Next, we moved to Alabama. And there, we we met the most wonderful people. We joined a church that we just loved, and we made wonderful, like God-loving friends. And when we finally decided to adopt, um, we just announced it as though it were a normal thing, and no one asked us questions. And they supported us endlessly during the whole adoption of our daughter, from praying to us before anything happened to, you know, when, when things were getting real and we were chosen by a birth mother and then when we went to go get our daughter, they were so supportive in every way. And it was wonderful. And I just, again, I shut myself off to the reality of my, I guess, medical past and the reason behind our adoption and just wanted people to focus on our daughter, on this beautiful girl who's coming to be part of our family. I just, I wanted to put all the attention in her direction. And the other thing is, I just, I didn't want gossip. I I had a hard time letting go of what happened to me as far as letting people know because I didn't want to, you know, look across the room and see someone looking at me funny and wondering if, you know, are those pity eyes? Are they looking at me because they know what happened? You know, part of this is my own neurosis too, my own difficulty dealing with the situation. I just, I didn't want to face it, I guess. I didn't want to face it in front of people who I didn't feel had the necessity to know this information. So in any event, <laughs> we move a lot. So after Alabama, we moved on um, with our sweet baby girl and our two boys. We came here to Hawaii. And this was the first time in our military career, I should say, that we've lived on a military base. And it has been really eye-opening as far as um, how people in the military are so wonderful and forthcoming because you have to make friends pretty quickly when you move every few years. And when you live on a military base, you're surrounded by neighbors who are all in a similar situation and you get to know people pretty quickly. You kind of just hang it all out there so to make friends. And one day I was just talking with a woman I just met and I just dropped my boys off and I guess it was second grade at the time and we got to chatting and she had adopted a baby and she just launched into her whole adoption story 
And she was so sincere and so transparent. And the story was so heartfelt. And when she was finished, I really felt strongly that I should reciprocate and share my story. And so after telling no one, like not even some of my closest friends for up then it was eight years, I just totally poured my heart out <laughs> to a mostly stranger in a parking lot at the school. And I just, I felt like God gave me the opportunity and the words just poured out of me. And this sweet woman, she hugged me and she cried with me and I felt good. I felt like I had released this sort of burden and I was able to speak freely about what happened to us and that it didn't define my daughter. It, it just, it's part of me. It's part of my past, but my future is really my focus now. And it just was such a huge revelation that I, I felt free. I felt so free and more so than I felt in a long time. And I'll say that I had, um, I had a lot of time to think about my story. I had eight years. The boys were, were pretty big by then. And I had a lot of therapy. You know, um, I dealt with a lot of depression and anxiety stemming from the incident. But And I had this beautiful daughter in my life. And like I said, my focus had changed from, from sorrow in the past to hope for the future. And it just was so healing in that parking lot on that random day, just to be honest for once. And, and so I'll say <laughs> our daughter, she is amazing. She fits into our lives perfectly. She is the perfect fit for our family and she loves her brothers fiercely. They are a trio of wacky kiddos and they are just the joy of my life. <laughs> they truly are so funny and I can't imagine our family without her. And the process of adoption was definitely trying at times you know, the the trusting and the waiting and the hoping that things go according to plan. And in our situation, we were very, very blessed that there were no hiccups um, in our daughter's adoption. And so when we finally were able to bring her home, it was just a seamless path of joy for our family. And we were able to celebrate as a family of five. And what a glorious moment that was for us to be able to expand our family, despite the fact that you know, we thought at one point this would never happen. We thought at one point this was impossible. We thought the choice had been taken away from us. And really, we just needed to find a new way. We needed to find what was right for our family. And in, in this case, it was adoption. And I just think that that is such a beautiful way. And I'm going to cry a little bit here, but it's such a beautiful way to think about it's not the end of something that you always had wished for to expand your family. You just had to think of a new way to do it. Yeah. And your family yes. is perfect and you found the perfect person to include into your family. And it's what a trial and what a what an awful eight years of holding it all inside and, and what a beautiful moment with that former stranger who allowed you to open up part of yourself and stop putting the weight of this on yourself, on your marriage, on your kids, and begin to accept it as part of your past and not your defining secret. Yes, exactly. It was just, it's sort of, um, I, I um, encounter a lot of, of women, um, friends and family who have fertility issues and you know, I find a lot of commonalities in our situations. 
sometimes it's hard to go to a baby shower because Mm -hmm. it's not that you're not excited for the person having the baby. It's, you know, especially at the beginning, I'm still grieving the fact that I could, I, I thought this would never happen for me again. And I would never experience that again. It's just a grieving process, I believe. And I, I think it's the same for, or at least similar for a lot of other women. It's sort of a silent phenomenon though, because, you know, you're at a party celebrating someone else's baby or expanding family and you don't want to take the attention away from the happiness and put it on yourself. So you suffer through. And again, it's not that you want to take anything away from them. It's not that you're not happy for them. You're over the moon. You're excited for your friends. You're excited for your family, but it's just, you still have this internal monologue of uh, disappointment and self-preservation. Mm-hmm. So, Kit, knowing you know everything that that you've been through with your emergency surgery, knowing what you know now, if you could go back and send a message to yourself in those early days, what would you tell her? <laughs> I don't know why I think that's funny. I can picture young. <laughs> I feel like for the most part, I've been a happy-go-lucky kind of person up until that sort of situation. And I think part of that, part of my my upbringing and my values are all sort of centered around positivity. And I, if I could see myself 10 years ago, I would give myself a big hug and I would tell myself to just be brave, to be courageous. I would tell myself to relax a little bit. <laughs> um, I would tell myself that you are going to have the most amazing family. You are going to have this feeling of pure contentment that your family looks even better than you ever imagined. And I, I think truly, I'm a faithful person and I, I really think that God has a better plan for us than what we might plan for ourselves. And it might involve a lot of trials and tribulations, but I still trust in his process more so than in my own. So like I said, my, my, I have three beautiful children. I have an amazing husband. I have a strong marriage. I have friends and family whom I love dearly. I feel like I, I really, I feel just in such a happy, loving place as far as the people in my life. And I would tell young Kit to just smile and enjoy the show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's really beautiful advice. Yeah. I think when we try to control things, not everything is going to go according to plan. But if we think of it as something that's out of our control, and we think of it as a happy accident when something <laughs> goes the way that we wanted it to, then we can live with gratitude rather than with resentment. And that's very easy to say for, it is. <laughs> for small things, right? And it's really hard to do and it's hard to live when, when bad things happen in our lives. So I think that that's a really beautiful outlook, Kit. And you are very happy-go-lucky. That's something that (laughs) I think defines you. And I think that I I think it's beautiful that you're able to continue to carry that with you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share. It really is, like I said, it feels freeing just to sort of speak my truth and to not be ashamed and just to be forthcoming and about it. I know there are a lot of other women and other men too who who struggle with childbearing or infertility or all sorts of, you know, things between. And I, 
I feel like when I hear their stories, I feel empowered. So my hope is that even one person might hear this and feel a little bit comforted that they're not alone. I think that's a beautiful gift to give someone. And we're honored that you decided to share your story with us um, and, and for anyone listening here on the podcast. So we really appreciate that. So we were talking the other night and you'd mentioned how since having a daughter, your views on feminism have changed somewhat. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Certainly. Yes, we we did talk about feminism and how there really is a wide spectrum of things. But I just, as my daughter grows and I'm seeing this world around us with new eyes, I find it crucial that I want my daughter to be afforded every opportunity that my sons will have. And increasingly, I see examples of how this is not necessarily the case in many aspects as far as our current culture. And so it it affects me. I start thinking about my daughter's future and I start thinking about obstacles she might face as she gets older. And not only as a female, but she's also a minority. And I feel like as her mother, it is my responsibility to start paying attention more closely and and then to consider what I'm actually going to do about it, what steps I can take to ensure she does get every opportunity her brothers get, and also to ensure that she stays protected, just as I would want my, my sons to be protected. So I think it's, it's when you start to look at specific things, it becomes a pretty tricky game of male, female, and also with ethnicities, too, with minorities, I think you know, more and more we're hearing minorities have a voice, more and more we're hearing women have a voice, but I think that we're just at the beginning of a, of a long period of change. And so, yeah, I was, I was saying to you, I, I grew up not, not really thinking of myself as a feminist, just sort of a, (laughs) just sort of a girl with her head in a bubble, um, (laughs) leading a charmed life, I suppose. (laughs) But I, I do think that that reality is starting to sink in that not everyone has been afforded the opportunities that I have been given. Not everyone gets to go to college. Not everyone gets to, you know, live with their college friends after they graduate. And I, I just think I see this as an increasingly relevant challenge as a mother, as a parent, of how can I raise a strong, independent, capable woman? And similarly, what values do I instill in my sons to to teach them that they need to treat women the same as I would have them treat their sister? I, I don't know. I think that it's an interesting balance having sons and a daughter <laughs> as far as thinking about the real world. That seems pretty vague, but uh, it's a bit mind-boggling at times because I think doors will open for my boys that may not automatically open for my daughter when the time comes. So again, this is just things I think about as a mother. I don't have enough things to worry about. So I add things to my list every day. (laughs) Join the club, Kit. (laughs) The overthinkers. Yes, that's that's exactly it. But I really do think it's relevant. I think it's something that I need to focus on and figure out what I'm going to do about it as she gets older. Luckily, she's still pretty young, but I, I want to start understanding these things now so that by the time she has questions, I have answers for her. You're absolutely right that we are seeing women step into their power, begin 
to speak and stand up for themselves and for each other. The same thing happening with different minority groups. And you're right. I think there is a really long road ahead of us. And I think that it begins at home. You're going to learn about this from a very young age and you're going to take that with you wherever you go. And so I think the fact that you're considering how to raise your daughter as well as how to raise your son to foster the most idealized world, I think that's where it begins. And I think that that is a very big undertaking. To both of your points, and I'm so glad that you brought this up, Kit, that it's not just about how you teach these things to your daughter. It is a lot also about making sure that your sons understand as well, because, you know, no matter how much you teach your daughter and she can be bold and she can be confident and sure in herself, but there's also something else in that, like, as strong females, we have to have male allies around us who understand like, no, she's not just nagging or no, she's not just being dramatic, you know, like, so, so seeing it from both sides, I think that's so important. And I'm glad that you pointed out that, you know, you, you are conscious of this for your sons as well. Well, thank you. Yes. I see it in the way that they treat their friends already, not that they're mistreating anyone, but I could see how things can go south pretty quickly. So just want to take control when I, when I still have it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that just in the home, you and your husband are modeling Mm -hmm. behaviors for the children as well. And so in addition to taking them aside and teaching them things, they're also growing up in a loving home that's full of gratitude that teaches them how to be good people through example. And so I think that what you're, you're not saying and just doing is a powerful example for them. Well, thank you. I, I really, I love my family so much. <laughs> I really want to do this. I, I want to do this right. I want to do the right things to make them good and faithful people. And I feel like that is what a parent's job is. And so I take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. So Kit, wrapping things up with our last question for the day, what is your best piece or pieces of advice for women who are looking to take their next step forward? Well, I would say my best piece of advice, it's hard to narrow it down to one thing, but I think the value of courage, the value of being courageous, of speaking your truth when the time is right for you, even if it's talking to one person, even if it's finding yourself a therapist, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, somebody who can listen to you and you can say anything you want and they will not judge you and they will not hold it against you. They will listen to you and they will encourage you to find somebody in your life like that. And then, you know, to be, to be courageous in that way, to speak your truth and to not be afraid of it. That was the hardest thing for me to sort of realize was that I could take control of my own story, take control of my own narrative. I had the power over it. I didn't understand that for a really long time. I was just angry about it. But just the power of sharing, the power of honesty, like I said, just have one person even that you can unload this baggage and they will not judge you. I think that that is a very important thing. I think another thing is just to keep reading and to keep learning and to keep talking. I think it's really a never ending sort of process. And I am almost 40 years old, but I feel like I'm just starting to learn about myself. I feel like the more books I read, 
about, like, for example, I love Brene Brown's. Um, Yay, Brene Brown! Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very greatly. I just, I feel really motivated by that book. The things that she says are talking about vulnerability and putting yourself out there and and how, you know, and not to be ashamed, not to live in a culture of shame, as she says, to put yourself in the arena. You can tell I just read that book, but it really, it really is a, a good example of a good tool. You know, you arm yourself with these tools that you have so that when things come along in your future or your present, I should say, that you, you know how to handle them or you're able to better handle them. So mm-hmm. I just, I really think, I don't know, I'm rambling, I know, but you asked for one thing and I can think of 50 things. I think you just, it's a process. Yeah, it truly is. No, you're wonderful. And, you know, I think being courageous isn't easy and being vulnerable is extremely difficult because it's so much easier Mm -hmm. to take a back seat in our lives and just watch things happen in front of us. And so making the choice to, as Brene Brown would say, to write your own brave ending, not to let just things sort of unfold around you and think that that's the way it has to be, but to know that you're really showing up in your own life. And then whatever the outcome is, you can only be proud of it because you know that you did everything that you could to be you and to be there. And and I think that's beautiful. Exactly. And I I tell my kids this all the time that I tell them, God made you. You are the only you in this whole world and you are special. And it's such a simple message and I'm trying to encourage them, but I feel like we need to tell ourselves that sometimes too. Like I do have a story to tell. Like I'm not an astrophysicist and I haven't discovered fountain of youth and I haven't, I don't know, (laughs) been to the moon, but I still have something to say. You know, I still have something that I've learned that's made a big impact on my life. And and I think each person can contribute something. I really do. And so I believe that. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. You're welcome. I would like to go to the moon for the record. (laughs) (laughs) You might. Who knows? (laughs) Things are happening. Well, with that, we want to say thanks to everyone for joining us today. And thanks so much to you, Kit, for taking the time to share your story with us. Oh, thank you all so much. Thank you for the opportunity and the platform to just sort of speak my truth. And I really, really appreciate it. And I also want to say I love what you're doing, talking to different women, hearing their stories. I think it does empower other women and and other listeners just to know that everybody has a voice. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, we are looking forward to sharing more stories soon. In the meantime, check out our website at herstepforward.com or follow us on Instagram at herstepforward for all the latest updates. If you'd like to reach out to us, shoot us a message on Instagram or email us at info at herstepforward.com. See you next time.